Welcome back to another episode of the Unexpected Podcast, where we chat all about the unexpected aspects of pregnancy and parenthood. I'm your host, Deborah Brooks. I'm a speech-language pathologist who found herself unexpectedly expecting. On this show, I call everyone I know who can help me get prepared for this life-changing journey, and on occasion, I chat with my comedian husband, Mike Racine, to see where his head's at. Okay, let's start the show. This is 12 Weeks Pregnant. Woohoo! I reached 12 weeks. I feel like I've been waiting for this for a long time. I'm so glad. Uh, thanks for being on this journey with me. So 12 weeks is when everyone says that you've reached a safer point, that it's um, maybe a little bit more acceptable to tell other people that you're pregnant at this point. I did tell many people already that I'm expecting, um, especially people who attended my wedding. I didn't want to be that person who pretended to not drink for some other reason. I just thought that was silly. Um, and I was really excited. I don't think I will share super publicly for a while, maybe not until I start showing, um, mainly because I don't want to be the girl who just has constant news Um, I just started posting pictures of our wedding and, and sending thank you cards and we're still getting gifts. So, um, I just don't feel comfortable really talking about it so much yet. Um, but before we talk too much about me, let's see what's happening at 12 weeks of gestation, um, with our babies. That of your first trimester is near and if you have a prenatal checkup this week you'll probably be able to hear your baby's heartbeat with the fetal doppler major growth whoa the baby doubled in size over the past three weeks and at the ninth week of pregnancy they only were about an inch long and now your 12-week fetus is almost two inches digestive processes Your baby's intestines are fully developed and they are starting to change positions, moving from near the umbilical cord into their rightful place in the abdomen. Uh, The baby now has a cuter face. If you peek inside your belly, you'd see a baby's face is looking more like, well, a baby than ever before. This week, their eyes and ears are in or close to their permanent spots, making your baby camera ready for your upcoming 12-week ultrasound your baby's reflexes when you're 12 weeks pregnant your baby is developing reflexes eyelids are starting to open and close and they are sucking with their mouth later fingers will open and close and toes will curl most of these reflexes start to develop in utero and stick around for a while after the baby is born then eventually they'll be replaced by voluntary movements and in a nutshell that's your 12 week baby Okay, so like I mentioned, this is week 12, and I just wanted to talk about some of the diagnostic things that I've gone through. So I'm going to pull up my calendar so I can remember most perfectly. Okay, so my first doctor's appointment for the baby was um, September 10th, and that's when I was six weeks, six days, and I had my first ultrasound, and I was able to hear the baby's heartbeat that day. Um, and really that was just an ultrasound and a confirmation of pregnancy and a chat with the OB. My, then I got married on September 18th and my next appointment was October 8th. And, um, at that appointment, I got a blood test to determine if I had any recessive genes that could impact the baby's development and when I got that test um when I got the results back I found that I did test positive for a recessive gene called Sansoff's disease and um it's a neurodegenerative disease I believe and so uh, because I tested positive for one recessive gene out of 274 so it's likely that you could possibly test positive for at least one Um, Mike had to take a saliva test. So then um, I'm pretty sure that that arrived 
um, I can't remember when that arrived. But anyway, he did the test and um, his came back and he had two recessive genes. One was like an amino acid thing. One was a kidney thing. Um, but out of 274 recessive genes, we did not test positive for um, either of the same. So it doesn't matter because uh, our baby will not be passed. Well, I mean, they'll just stay recessive. So um, we didn't have the same recessive genes. So our baby is not at risk. Um so then shortly after that, okay, so I think October 8th, I got the NIPT test. And the NIPT test is, it stands for non-invasive prenatal testing. I got this at 10 weeks. It's a simple blood test that can tell doctors more about your baby than ever before. Um, so there's pieces of your baby's DNA within your bloodstream and the non-invasive prenatal testing, the NIPT involves a simple blood screening that analyzes the DNA um, to pinpoint the baby's risk for a number of genetic disorders, including Down syndrome. So the NIPT, it's just prenatal screening, which looks at the DNA from your baby's placenta in a sample of your blood to identify whether you're at increased risk of giving birth to a child with a genetic disorder. Uh, a screening like the NIPT cannot determine if for sure whether or not your baby actually has a chromosomal disorder, only the likelihood of having that condition. But it can't, even though it can't tell for sure, whether or not your baby has a genetic abnormality, it's highly accurate from 97 to 99% um, accurate for three of the most common conditions. The results of the NIPT screening can help you and your doctor decide the next steps, including whether or not you would like to have more diagnostic tests, such as a CVS um, or an amniocentesis. So these tests analyze for your baby's own genetic material collecting from the amniotic fluid or the placenta to tell with 100% certainty whether a baby has a chromosome abnormality. However, they are invasive, which means they slightly increase the chance of miscarriage. So I'm 32 years old. Um, I personally only had the NIPT test, um, but my aunt Jessie, when she was 38, she had her first baby and I actually watched her CVS test and the doctor took a very large needle um, and, and had an ultrasound tech at the same time uh, and took a sample of the, I think it was, the, maybe I guess that's from the placenta then. I don't know if that's the placenta or the... Um, or the um, amniotic fluid, but um, I watched that test. It was a large needle, um, but the reason why she got that test is because she was um, having a baby at an older age than I am, um, and I don't think the NIPT was available just then. Amniocentesis seems to be a little bit more common. Um, if you want to know more about these tests, I listened to an audiobook called... Um, expecting better and um, she goes into a lot of detail and it's super informative so if you find yourself in the position where you're deciding whether or not to get a CVS or an amniocentesis um, you should check out that book. So although the NIPT is not intended to be a test to determine the sex of the baby, because you're already testing their chromosomes you do find out if you so choose to. So um I got the NIPT test at, I think, 10 weeks, and I found out on October 17th that this baby is going to be a boy. Um, yes, the baby is a boy, and I knew it. I just felt so strong that the baby was going to be a boy, and I was correct, um... I think I mentioned in an earlier podcast that I intended to surprise Mike with the news. I bought a teddy bear. I was going to put the news in an envelope. Um, but he was away working um, when I got, when I signed in online and saw the profile and it told me the sex of the baby was male. And I called him immediately. I could not wait. Um, well, I FaceTimed him at least while he was driving. So, yes, very safe. Um, and I told him 
he was surprised because he was thinking the baby would probably be a girl. Um, but yeah, super exciting news. I commend people who are team green who wait until the baby is born to find out the sex of the baby. I was so curious, um, but it was wonderful to find out. So I can imagine how wonderful it feels to find out the day of the baby's birth, whether or not they are male or female. Um, but yeah, so super exciting and I can't wait to buy some boy clothes. Okay, so in this episode, I once again chat with my good friend, Sari Wu. She is a fellow speech-language pathologist, co-host of the SLP Happy Hour podcast. Uh, she was in the last episode chatting about fertility and her journey to pregnancy. And in this um, episode, she's going to chat more about um, pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Um as I mentioned in the last episode, yes, I lost the audio from the first time we did this. Um, so we had to re-record and now I'm speaking to you from the future. Well, I mean like future from a couple minutes ago. Um, and I am actually 21 weeks today. And I don't hate that this happened, that I um, had this little mess up in the audio because I would like at this stage of the game I wish I could go back and tell past Deb to um relax and don't read too much on the internet and um trust your doctors trust your family and um trust the process trust your body I know bad things can happen but those things are inevitable um I spent a lot of time being concerned about things that could happen or go wrong um mainly because I saw other people um, talk about it or post about it or I read about it online um, and so far so good I'm 21 weeks and I'm feeling good and uh, everything is looking good so yeah if I could tell anything to pass Deb to 12 week pregnant Deb I would say um, everything's gonna be okay hopefully I mean that's as much as I know at 21 weeks of pregnancy so I don't recall how far along I was when I did this second um, audio recording with Sari. I'm not sure if I mention it, but just in case you notice any issues with continuity, that's why. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Unexpected Podcast. Today, I am once again joined by Sari Wu. She is a fellow speech language pathologist and the co-host of SLP Happy Hour Podcast. Sari works primarily in the school setting, and she has recently had a baby six months ago. He's so cute. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so in our last episode, Sari talked about her fertility and uh, pregnancy, and today we're going to talk about labor and parenthood. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So you worked up until your due date was April 23rd and you worked up to that day, but you mm -hmm. were doing virtual sessions on the computer. Mm -hmm. And then what happened like that night? What was that like? Um, it was actually the morning of the 24th. Um, I early morning between six and seven, I started having pretty bad back pain and I had had back pain throughout my pregnancy and I also have arthritis so I just kind of thought it was just part mm -hmm. of being pregnant I didn't think anything about it I got up and um, my husband was working from home virtually as well and I remember he got up and went to work and around eight I think that's when I noticed or just realized that the back pain was getting intense at regular intervals uh -huh. <laughs> and, hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that because I'd gone to these birthing classes and, mm -hmm. and I just kind of always expected it to be like in the front, not okay. in my back. So it could be anywhere. Just good to know. It could be anywhere, but also I did back labor. Oh. Um, and the doctor does think he was sunny side up. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know that at the time. It, I just was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is happening. And <laughs> kind of the way I'm wired is I don't like a lot of people around when I'm 
doing, I mean, not, this is the first time I've gone through anything like this, right. but I, I didn't even tell my husband. He was in the office still doing work. I went and got the exercise ball. I put on the movie Avatar uh-huh. and I just like got ready to labor as long as I could. And wow, you're brave. Yeah. <laughs> he came out, my husband came out at some point and he figured out what was going on mm-hmm. and he was like oh my gosh like do we need to go to the hospital and um I told him to go back to work and that mm-hmm. I would let him know when it was time and um I had met in my neighborhood there is a, a delivery nurse who had told me to wait until I couldn't send a text mm-hmm and that advice is what I stuck to that day. And I labored until I couldn't send a text to my husband anymore. <laughs> and are you glad you did that? I'm glad I did that because okay. I lasted until uh, almost 11 o'clock. He had had a meeting and I think he was only like 15 minutes into, into a meeting and, and uh, I called him out and he, he uh, bombed me to the hospital cut mm-hmm. off one guy. Okay. I think it's a, I, I think he thought it was a rite of passage because he definitely did not need to cut off that person. I think he just <laughs> wanted to cut someone <laughs> yeah. off. I got it. You're on a mission. Yeah. Um, they did at the time there weren't a ton of, I, I really don't know if it's more strict at the birthing center here in Southern Oregon, but we did have to go through a screening. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not have to wear a mask. Um, it it was restricted to just me and my husband, mm-hmm. which actually was kind of a relief because I had so many people. And you've got a big family, Deb, so you might yeah. kind of be in the same boat. But maybe and my you family do. works in the hospital, so they're coming. Okay, they're not right. going to be kicked out. <laughs> Everyone will be there. <laughs> And I'm like you, like when I'm going through something, like I just don't want like extra stimulation. Like I don't really want energy, like, but I am a loud mouse. So like, I think I'd be like, I'm going, I'm in labor and then expect everyone to leave me alone. And it wouldn't, it's unrealistic. <laughs> I, I was really scared to be that, you know, that mom that has like this dark side that comes out when she's, you know, we've all seen the the movies and things where suddenly the lady that's giving birth is start starts yelling f you that happens people people (laughs) go through that type of thing and I was wondering if I would turn into that woman and when we were in there I do um remember that my husband would was saying things to me and and I I remember I was like I've got to ask him to be quiet nicely while I still can (laughs) (laughs) Um, kind of you yeah, I tried. And so at one point, what I said to him was, Dan, like, what you say matters the most to me. And when you're talking, it's really hard for me to not want to respond. And what I need from you is to just be here and be quiet. And <laughs> that's good. Okay. I'll say that did. to Mike beforehand. <laughs> I'll, re- I'll write that down. <laughs> yeah, just be quiet and exist. Yeah, just be there for me, and and you don't need to like. I, I, when I started pushing at some point, Dan did like start to say, "Just push as hard as you can, babe." And yeah, I was I like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Remember how I said you need to be quiet, kind yeah. of a thing. And he he did pretty good. He actually he did awesome for for the whole thing. And actually, he was keeping my family up to date the whole time, which I had, I had no idea that he was on the sidelines sending texts, but. That's good. Yeah. Hopefully my husband's just not on Twitter the whole time. (laughs) But if that keeps him quiet, then maybe that'll be okay. So so what is the, like, will the hospitals there allow more than just your, because only Dan was allowed in with me. Well, I mean, I don't really want or need anybody else in there. Like, I hope it's just Mike. But my sister, I wouldn't mind, but she's a nurse in that hospital, so I don't see them, like, not letting her in. Yeah. Um, and then my cousin, Jennifer, she is, like, the main maternity nurse in the hospital. So, like, my sister's the pediatric nurse, and my cousin's a maternity um, labor and delivery nurse. So, like, I'm sure they'll both be in there um, throughout 
and they'll at least both be in the building and not be thrown out. And then I think like my mom is very scary. Um, <laughs> so like rules don't typically apply to her. Even when you think like, no, this is the rule somehow she gets past any rule. So I just don't. Like a pastor to get in the I hospital. wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd be shocked. Shocked if she was not like front and center. Um, so, but I don't care. Cause like, I'll just, I've, I've, I've gotten really good at just like tuning out everything that exists around me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. My wedding, I was just like, none of this is happening. I'm just here putting makeup on. <laughs> Oh my goodness, your wedding was gorgeous. Your pictures were so fun to look at. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) I got one nasty message from somebody who was like, oh my God, you would really sacrifice your parents and grandparents just so you can get married and wear a dress. I was like, but you know, out of like 4,000 messages, one was bad. So I did you delete that negative I did. I well, first I showed Mike, and then I um, blocked the person without messaging. But he still to this day is like, "Did you ever unblock that person and message them back?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> yeah, you don't need to. You don't no, need to. I yeah. don't want to. Um, but yeah, he still wants to. But he's more like that type. Me, I'm like, yeah. yeah, whatever. But I have complained about it like multiple times, so clearly it's still. <laughs> I'm just not used to like. I always expect everything like I from I've been on the internet for so long, like pretty publicly since 2016. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I make a coloring book. I expect someone to be like, this is shit. And no one is, you know, and I, I like post something <laughs> and I expect someone to be like, this is not evidence-based and no one is. And like, I don't know, no one ever says anything bad to me. So it's like, I guess I got spoiled one person in, I don't know how long since <laughs> <four> <laughs> I said one negative thing to me and I'm like, this is absurd. <laughs> but what are you going to do? So then um, tell me about, so did you get an epidural? I did. So um, the pain got so bad I was throwing up and mm-hmm. I, I, I like, they took you in. So we got through the COVID screening. They took you into like this other room to check how much you were dilated and at that point, I, I, I was throwing up in a barf bag. Um, I was so relieved I didn't throw up in the car mm-hmm. on the way there. And the nurse, I had all these plans. I was going to deliver. Oh, yeah, I want to hear your plan. Yeah. And um, I was like, I, I put down, I didn't want them to offer an epidural unless I asked for it. Uh-huh. Um, but once I got there, there wasn't even it didn't seem like I even had time to kind of work through the pain. I was just like nurses and doctors were like asking me questions and I'd be like, hold on. And then Mm -hmm. throwing up and then (laughs) like trying to answer the question before it happened again. And, Mm -hmm. um, the nurse did offer, she, she's like, do you want an epidural? And I was like, I think I do. I think I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm glad I did. They did have to do it twice. The first one, um, only took a little bit and I was still throwing up and I remember thinking well I guess this is all that's going to happen this is like I knew that epidurals sometimes work for people and sometimes don't and Mm -hmm. I I thought well it's a little better and maybe this is just what I have to like work through and I had a great nurse who was like sweetie no you're not supposed to still be throwing up from the pain. (laughs) Right. um, She got the anesthesiologist to come back and administer it again. And the second time it took, and um, it was so much better. I, um, I have serious respect for women who deliver without getting an epidural. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm personally glad that I didn't make that choice because I was able to sleep and it, it did make, the whole process just a lot easier for me. Mm -hmm. So So that's um, good to know if anyone has in their birth plan, like, so I decided like, I'm going to try my best, but I am not a hero. So like, if I (laughs) need drugs, I'm going to be like, hand them over. I'm not even going to be like, Oh no, I didn't want to. No, it's just, you know, I tried, didn't work. Give mm -hmm. me the drugs. Um, so it is good to know and hear that you can, 
make that choice and then just be fine with it and not think like, oh no, I went against my plan or I did the wrong thing. <laughs> do you have any residual effects from it? Any back pain? Any, do you notice anything different? I did, but I mean, I did have some back pain, but it faded mm -hmm. and, you know, there was so much else going on after Declan was nine pounds, seven ounces. He's a big giant baby <laughs> and there was a lot of other things that I was recovering from in addition to the back pain right. <laughs> afterwards. Okay. Also, I, like I said, I have arthritis and I, I'm just kind of used to chronic back pain. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't any more severe than my worst day with arthritis. So okay. I, I kind of took the back pain in stride, I guess. It's a silver lining to arthritis, I suppose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So prior to the epidural, what could you like describe the pain as? Like somebody taking a hammer to your back, somebody stabbing you in the back? I don't know. Oh, it was, it was more of a really intense throb in my back and also in my butt. Okay. Yeah. I heard somebody told me once that it felt like somebody was shoving a high heel shoe up their butt. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could see how that, yeah, I would agree with that statement. Okay. And I definitely like, I just kind of felt like my whole lower back and butt was, was on fire and like uh -huh. my back could like was snapping or so, like it just hurt oh. so bad um, there. And, and like, I didn't trust any movement to not be painful. It okay. was, and it, as the, um, contractions got closer and closer together it just got worse and worse and and I did not expect because I've always considered myself to have a high pain tolerance mm -hmm. and I did not expect to be the type of person who would be throwing up from pain and uh -huh. it it still kind of shocks me that I got to that point <laughs> right I'm sure doctors think it's laughable when you're like oh I have a high pain tolerance they're like we'll see about that yeah I'm sure they do <laughs> yeah because I've said it twice at least at least to doctors and they have never acknowledged me. So they must think like, okay, sure. Tell yourself that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I always, I just wonder. And so then after the epidural, what can you explain after the one that worked your sensation being? Um, it was, I, I couldn't really feel anything. Um, and I, I dilated very quickly. When we got there, I was dilated to a three and within an hour I was dilated to a seven. Oh. And I think that's maybe part of also why I was going through so much pain. Okay. Um, but then after the epidural, it all slowed down. Okay. And it seemed like it took me forever to get to a nine. And then it seemed like I was at a nine forever and then 9.5 forever. And then finally, around eight o'clock at night, the doctors told me to start pushing. And What's I, I wasn't even- What's the number that your goal is? What 10. 10, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so they had me start pushing at 9.5 and I pushed for three hours <laughs> before. <laughs> and how did you know you were pushing if you couldn't really feel anything? Oh, they dial it down. Oh, okay. They, 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 uh, lessen the administration of the drug so that you mm -hmm. can actually feel the urge to push mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, they, so they did that around eight o'clock and I started pushing and they had me try pushing in different positions and, um, he just wasn't, he just wasn't coming and around 11 o'clock, I remember, <laughs> him saying that uh, he was going to have to go and get uh, the forceps and make an incision. And he's, he did think at this point that the doc, that the, that Declan was sunny side up, which was mm -hmm. part of it. And, and what does that mean? So that, that means, means that he's not face that he's facing up, that he's not facing down. And so you want baby's belly to be towards your back? baby's belly. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. So you want him to face posteriorly. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. See, I don't know. Obviously I need a class. <laughs> and I had to think about that too. I was like, am I, am I saying that right? Because, 
you know, at the time you're just like in it and the doctors are just saying things and you're like, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I just want whatever. him out. <laughs> I, well, I like my eggs over easy. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I really did not want, um, I, I was scared of the forceps and I really didn't want him to make an incision. Mm-hmm. And, um, I kind of are, argued a little bit that I wanted to keep pushing. And he, I remember him saying it was starting to get risky for Declan mm-hmm. and he went out to go get the things. And I had, it was actually a new nurse because I'd been there so long that the nurses mm-hmm. had changed shifts. <laughs> and, oh boy. Um, but I had another great nurse and I remember her coming up to me and saying, you don't have to do this. You can push really hard right now and you could get him out and you don't have to have that incision and the doctor doesn't have to pull him out with the forceps. You could do this. And honestly, I don't know where I found the strength to keep pushing at that point, Mm -hmm. but somehow I just like bared down and (laughs) he was Mm -hmm. crowning the doctor came back in with all the, all the stuff. And, um, Mm -hmm. He was like, okay, all right, you're doing it and we're, you're doing this. And, um, and he, he was born, he, so the immediately after Declan was born, it was, there was a brief scare. Mm -hmm. He, um, I remember the doctors put him on me and I I noticed he was like a dark purple color Mm -hmm. and I think I heard him cry once and then I barely touched him, barely said anything to him. And there was this team that had come in the room with like the like clear container that Mm -hmm. they're going to like check all all the things. And they like picked him up and put him in there. And no, like it was surreal. Like no one was saying anything. Mm -hmm. And I, I freaked out Deb. I was like, is he okay? Is he okay? And no one was answering me. Oh my God. That's a nightmare. (laughs) It was a nightmare. I was looking at the doctor. I was looking at, you know, all these people working on the baby and I was looking at my nurse and someone said something like, I think one of the doctors at the bin said, he's not breathing. We need to take him to the NICU. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, like go, that's, you know, that's, that's fine. And, and Dan, my husband went with them and the nurse and the doctor said, you know, they'll, he'll be okay. They'll, he'll be fine. And mm-hmm. it's like something reassuring. I don't really Right. Remember. Yeah. Something because like, I would be like, narrate. Yes. Please tell me what you're doing to my baby. Shout <laughs> <laughs> things out so I can understand. Yes. Oh, and it was, I mean, maybe they don't because they, I don't know. It, uh, that was just really hard. That was the hardest moment. And Dan, then I'm alone in the room because they, like, you still have to do things. You have to, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd, I don't think the placenta had come by the time they took him away. So I was Mm -hmm. still pushing that. And then they, they like stitch you up and you have Mm -hmm. to go to the bathroom before they let you out. So I was there for another two hours before I could go to the NICU to see him. But um, in between that time, Dan was sending me videos of him in the NICU and there's nothing worse. I, I mean, it is wonderful to see your baby, but there's nothing worse than seeing all of these tubes and mm-hmm. wires all over your baby and mm-hmm. not knowing what's going on and, and what they all mean and, and how he's doing. And so Dan sending me those things, he came back to the room to check on me at one point and a pediatrician came in and she like brought up the screen with an x-ray of his lungs and you know i'd done a hospital externship i knew what a pneumothorax looked like and she's right. like pointing out this collapsed lung and um t- like telling me all the things wrong she was very like abrupt mm-hmm. with, like this is like your son has this your son has this he ingested meconium he's got a broken collarbone and listing all the things that just sounded like were wrong with my baby. Right, yeah. And I just, I remember like just completely breaking down in tears again for the doctor. Oh my God. <laughs> and, um, and what she could have said, which I, what I found out later is that a lot of the things that happened to Declan are actually pretty common. Like, 
Um, the broken collarbone, I guess, is pretty common for big babies. Mm. And um, a pneumothorax is not that unusual. And ingesting meconium is not that unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they can be scary. But I, I guess at that point, what I needed is like like a little bit of... A little of, bit of a sandwich. A little yes. bit of... <laughs> Now, nothing here is outside of the ordinary, but I'm going to inform you of what has led your baby to be in the NICU. Yeah, like there's... prognosis is good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The prognosis is good. Uh, These are risks, but the pro... You know, there's all these other things in favor. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then she had me sign a bunch of papers because they might have to, like, puncture his lung to drain it. I, they, I, it was really important to me to breastfeed him early on. And I remember like one of the things I had to sign was how I, they didn't think I'd be able to feed him that first day. Mm-hmm. And they asked me if I wanted him to have formula or um, donor's milk. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember saying that I'd rather him have donor's milk. Donor's and, milk. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So um, then after I got out of the room, it was like the middle of the night and they wheeled me um, over to the NICU. And by the time I got there, he already had um, like several of the tubes removed. And he like originally he had this whole thing that came down over his head and there was like Mm -hmm. a tube thing that went down over his nose, I think. Um, It was crazy looking, all this stuff that they had hooked up to him. But Mm -hmm. by the time I got there, a lot of it had already been removed and he was already doing so much better that he was yes. able to nurse with me that first night. Oh, perfect. So that was, that was awesome. That's another thing that I worry about. I've, I've heard many people say that like they had, they really strongly wanted to uh, breastfeed and, and some sort of complication interfered. So I'm glad that you got to. Yeah, uh, me too. And uh, I've been very fortunate as far as that whole, uh, as far as breastfeeding goes. And I feel very lucky because I, I do have a lot of friends that have struggled with keeping up their milk supply or, or weren't able to. And, you know, they make formula amazing mm-hmm. these days. Um, but I'm, I'm still glad that I, it was a goal of mine to be able to breastfeed and I am glad that it's worked out and so far so good. I've been able to keep my supply up. The struggle is real though. It's like constant pumping at work and really, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I plan my day around my pumping schedule. And oh, nursing boy. schedule. <laughs> yeah. I'm not looking for forward that. to that, but I do really want to as well. And that's just, you know, my preference, that's just your preference. But, um, I think it's just important to work with whatever you feel best. And if you don't have that desire to, um, nurse or breastfeed, like, I don't think you should think twice of it. I think you should do whatever seems best for your personal preference and experience Mm -hmm. for sure. Like do what you ignore everybody who's like, has anything else to say about it. Yeah. There should be no mom shaming going on. No. (laughs) Our babies are getting fed. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so there, you just told a lot of unexpected things there. I don't know if you wanted to say one more unexpected thing or the most unexpected. I mean, that was just like unexpected after unexpected after unexpected. Yeah, it really was. Uh, the, the happy ending though, is he only had to stay one night in the NICU and then he, uh, came back with us and I had one extra day to like, because we'd had him so late at night, Mm -hmm. we ended up staying two nights in the, in the hospital. And I loved that. I oh, loved good. having a nurse that I could call <laughs> anytime I needed help and food brought to us. And mm-hmm. the hospital bed actually was really comfortable. Oh, good. <laughs> I remember my husband was really anxious to go home and they'd offered us t- to stay a third night. And I was, I was kind of leaning towards like, yeah, let's, let's stay here. Right. Night. Yeah. I want this this lovely. Life. Yeah. <laughs> what did he, did he sleep there every night or did he go home? Declan? No, I mean, did your husband? Oh, my husband? Yeah. yeah, he slept there every night. He, he did have to leave, leave once to go get something like maybe contact solution or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, because of the quarantine, I remember like they warned him that like, 
I, th- I think he was only allowed to do that once and maybe oh, okay. it was it was an exception like I don't remember I don't think he was supposed to leave okay, and I think they were like trapped if you were there yeah mm-hmm. that makes sense because of the times yeah so then now you're six months in tell me about parenthood what's that been like <laughs> It has been wonderful. My, my, uh, you know, my pregnancy was really rough, but Declan has really, he's just such an easygoing baby. And I feel really fortunate for that. I, you know, I read this book, it's kind of an old book. It's called the baby whisperer. I'm all about the book. So I want the baby whisperer. Um, it's by, I think it's hog is Tracy hog, I think is the name. Um, and she has like five baby personality types that she outlines in the book. And after a couple months in, she recommends like the two partners both take the quiz that she has and see if you're in agreement on where the baby's at. But there's like angel baby, predictable baby, kind of touchy baby and grumpy baby. (laughs) Oh dear. Grumpy baby. <laughs> I was fully expecting to have like a grumpy baby, if I'm honest. Yeah. Because um, I think I was from stories about what I was like. Mm-hmm. But Declan, both Dan and I have found that he is the, and I feel like guilty because I have so many friend moms that have had. Listen, you went through enough. <laughs> He's an angel baby. <laughs> Good. And you deserve it. So don't even feel bad. You, you brag. Angel baby, it up. <laughs> You earned it. Uh, my goodness. So I'm glad that, yeah, he seems like he's so happy. You just yeah. like, post these videos of him. He's just laughing, playing. He's sitting nice. Yep. That's him. He's just this jovial, chunky little guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, and yeah, everything has been easy from, from nursing to getting him to sleep at night. Um, and probably part of it too is, is, attributed to his weight. Um, I have, I mean, maybe this is an old wife's tale, but I've heard from a lot of friends that big babies tend to feed well. And once they, as they gain weight, like once a baby reaches like 16 pounds, 15, 16 pounds, I guess they start sleeping better through the night. So he started sleeping through the night pretty early on because he was nine pounds when he came out. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Did he lose Um, much? Because I know that they lose weight. When- he did. He he lost a couple pounds. Um, it seemed like he did. He thinned down. I want to say one or two pounds, and then but he just like rapidly gained it back. Right. So by the time we went back, because you have an immediate doctor's appointment, and then I think it's a two week doctor appointment. Now I can't fully remember for the baby well check. I think it was uh-huh. a two week, and by that point he'd already regained the weight that he had lost good good for him and good for you feeding that baby (laughs) I think I don't think I nurse milk I think I nurse cream (laughs) (laughs) good good I mean like I know there's a lot of concern about uh for around breastfeeding moms wondering if their baby is is uh getting enough and you probably were well aware that he was yeah just because the constant weight gain yeah (laughs) Didn't, didn't have to fret too much over it. And then did you do like swaddling or, or was bedtime just easy or how did that go? We did swaddle in the beginning. Um, he was an early roller though. He started rolling around two and a half months and we stopped swaddling then. Mm-hmm. Um, he would roll from back to front and it took him, I think, another three weeks, maybe a month before he would roll front to back. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would, sometimes we would swaddle, but take the swaddle off him when we were putting him down. Mm-hmm. But we did, we did swaddle in the beginning and that helped. And the other thing that helped um, was we had like a white noise machine. Okay. And we play that in his, um, his nursery is in a den that's actually connected to our bedroom. Okay. So we can see his crib through the pocket den door that goes oh, nice. to our bedroom. But he, uh, we, we would play that for him pretty early on. And that seemed to really help too, was the white noise machine. And did you have him sleeping in a crib from the beginning? We actually had a cradle. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a cradle that my dad, 
dad had built that all my siblings and I had slept in, but it made me nervous having it because the mattress wasn't too firm in the cradle. Mm -hmm. And I think he only slept in that a couple of nights before I wanted him on the firmer mattress in the crib. Mm -hmm. So we moved him over to the, to the crib, which was, we could, we, we actually moved our pillows to the foot of our bed so we could see him through the, the door to the den. So he was still two feet away. Nice. Cause I already have a crib and so many people are like, you're not going to use it for six months, but I'm like, you know what? It's going to set the scene. So whatever, <laughs> but you used it. So that's good. Yeah. To know. You never yeah. know. Um, and then, so as a speech pathologist, have you been like watching every milestone? Oh yeah. <laughs> and he's motor wise, he's pretty early in the milestone department. Mm-hmm. Um, he just started standing at six months. He's been crawling for a month about um so all of those ones have been really early and um and kind of scared because I don't know (laughs) if I'm fully ready for him to be walking super soon right yeah um (laughs) but uh language wise language about he's like about right where he should be he's doing the reduplicated babbling um and an example of that is Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. For our listeners who are not speech pathologists, he says things like ba 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 and ra 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 a lot. And he repeats like those same sounds over and over again. So that's where that reduplicated. Yeah. So the repeated in. consonant vowel. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying like baby, 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 ba. We're just saying ba 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 ba. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he does like a lot of raspberries mm-hmm. and kind of like, I mean, you can probably hear him in the background squealing sometimes. He does a lot <laughs> on cue. Um, squeals and, and just kind of vocal play things that um, are reassuring to the speech therapist mom that he has that's like, mm-hmm talking to him all the time, narrating mom's washing the dishes and I'm picking up the cup. And <laughs> right. And that's, so that is advisable to anyone listening who's not a speech pathologist. That's like advice that we all tend to give to our clients, like just narrate everything that you're doing, try to involve that baby into your routine, what you're doing so that they understand Mm-hmm. Just the social aspect, I think. They might not obviously understand, oh, dishes, this is soap, I'm rubbing it, but <laughs> they are included. Yeah. It's funny that um, my husband has started doing it too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I hear him changing his diaper and, and like buttoning the buttons and be like, I'm buttoning up your, your sleeper. Here's one button. Here's <laughs> two. <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah. Then he'll come in and report and he'll be so proud of himself. He'll be like, did you hear that I was modeling counting for him? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He's so good. Dan seems like an angel baby too. Angel. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you something controversial before we ended. I am uh-huh. having a boy. And um, so my husband does not think we should circumcise our baby what has your position been in that department (laughs) um I was actually the one that was kind of on the fence and my husband was the one that was like no we are getting him circumcised okay um I I think I just had read some things about you know natural uh I don't know, just like kind of more of a natural approach, but we did it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I was okay with the decision. It's, it's cleaner or it's easier to keep clean. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was one of the biggest reasons that I wanted that for him is, is for that. And just for ease of, I think I want to talk to a group of adult men who are not circumcised before (laughs) I let anyone make this decision be like, do you wish that you were, is this fine? Like just, yeah. I think that that's the only way to know. My husband would say he's so glad that he was and you know, thanks to his mom. So he, he really advocated that. Yes. I was a crazy mom for thinking that maybe we shouldn't. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, but you don't even know the other side. Like, I mean, like, so, so my husband would be like essentially advocating for something that he has not experienced because once, you know, he has also been circumcised. So I just want to know, I need to talk to some people who are not, (laughs) and I don't know if that's like 
I don't know how I'm going to start that conversation, but, or if I'm just going to go right into it, (laughs) are you circumcised? (laughs) Are you cool with it? (laughs) Cause I don't know. It's not in my department. And and like my husband didn't give me the answer I wanted, I guess. So that's why. <laughs> what uh, does what? I mean, do you feel comfortable saying what are his reasons for not wanting thinks, to circumcise? Yeah, he's like it's genital mutilation. It's not natural. People do it because it like decreases pleasure, and that like you can teach ba- like children to keep it clean. And I'm just like, okay, like I don't want to make decisions based off my son's future pleasure. But I don't, I don't know. And then I'm like, the only reason why I'm deciding no is because, like, I've never seen an adult version who's not. So I don't even know, like, what. So I am not the right one is all I, you know, that's all I think. I am not, yeah. the, I'm not the right one to make this decision. <laughs> yeah. Talk, talk to some other, like, uh, boy moms that, or, like, bring them in and, like, have them talk to your husband too and, and no i want to survey 20 adult men 10 have been <laughs> circumcised 10 who have not been <laughs> and i want them to <laughs> yeah get their yeah get their <laughs> feedback mm-hmm. yeah. um but yes thank you so much for doing this podcast i really appreciate it yeah it was fun Deb. The Unexpected Podcast is recorded and produced by Deborah Brooks and is sponsored by the Sit Down with Microscene Podcast, SLP's Wine and Cheese Podcast, and the Dad Show with Microscene Podcast. For more unexpected content, head over to www.patreon.com slash Deborah Brooks CCC SLP. If you love the show, I'd appreciate a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week. 